If you are feeling suicidal, thinking about hurting yourself, or concerned that someone you know may be suicidal or in danger of hurting themselves, call or text the new Nationwide Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988 to connect with suicide prevention and mental health counselors. Help is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Astonishing Legends would like to thank Squarespace, Mint Mobile, Peloton, Wildgrain, our contributors at Patreon.com, and you, our listeners, for making tonight's show possible. Astonishing Legends has been, for over eight years now, a show about the unknown. Cryptids, UFOs, disappearances, and yes, ghosts. In fact, we talk about ghosts so much that sometimes we might forget what a ghost represents. Death. If you listen to the show, well, then you probably do that because you're fascinated with the unknown, right? The mysteries, the unsolvable. But how much thought have you given to death? And more specifically, your death? Of course, some folks are just naturally morbid, like our good friend Miranda Merrick, the host of the Midnight Library. And there are others who probably think about death and even their own a lot. But how many of us think about our own deaths and what they will be like? Sure, we all do that when the time is nigh but not much earlier in most cases. So you have to ask yourself, are you afraid of your own mortality? Unfortunately, we don't get to choose much about our deaths. The time, place, and circumstances are all choices that converge on us without our consent 99% of the time. But what is the quality of the experience like? Can you do something about that? Join us tonight to meet someone who trades in making the dying as comfortable as they can be when their time comes. And in this case, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. An end-of-life doula. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Forrest Burgess, and this is Scott Philbrook. It is but a legend, I know. A fable, a phantom, a show. Of the ancient rabbinical lore. Yet the old medieval tradition. The beautiful, strange superstition. But haunts me and holds me the more. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, from his poem, Sandalfin. Join us tonight for our show on the end-of-life experience. That's it. You sound like the uh, that depressed robot from the Hitchhiker's Guide movie. Oh, uh, which I, I love think the, was played yeah. by Alan Rickman. I think. Yeah. Oh, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Right. Yeah. No, I was just trying to ease people into 2023. You know, gently into I that like good night, folks. We are back. We're beginning our ninth year as a show. It's, it's kind of hard to believe, honestly. Yeah, I don't know uh, <laughs> how to take that or what to say. I don't either. Well, uh, folks, <laughs> it's going to be an exciting year of that. We're certain. We got a lot of great topics planned for this year. And before we get started on tonight's unusual show... Aren't they all unusual? I guess they are. Well, we like to keep you guessing, <laughs> folks, but we just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been with us so long, and welcome to all the newcomers. Uh, we're closing in on 95 million listens since we started, which boggles the mind. And there's a lot more stories in the story folder to choose from, so we're, we're going to keep going. Yeah, folks, it has been and continues to be a wild ride, and uh, stuff keeps coming to us, which is yes. also part of that wild ride. We don't know where the the turns and the chicanes are coming, 
But through all those twists and turns, we'd also like to thank you for supporting our sponsors when you're able. The bottom line is that it's the crux of why we're able to make the show available for free to you, the listener. Because when you support our sponsors, they come back. And that keeps the lights on at Blanket Fortiana and Bob's Your Uncle. Bob's Your Uncle. Isn't that an English expression? Well, it might be Australian as well. Okay. But I know it from uh, from actual British people who I'm friends oh, with. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, I okay. know it There's from Australia. There's a few Australia others that are guy. very, uh, very cheeky, yes. But uh, <laughs> we'll stick with that one. Well, thanks again, everyone. And Happy New Year. All right. We've got a great show for tonight. So let's get into it. Well, I talked about this a little bit in the cold open. Mm-hmm. End of life. That's something we all face because uh, we're all, if you're listening to this, we're all alive. You're alive right now. You're hearing it, <laughs> uh, theoretically. Maybe this could be on a ghost box being projected into the ether. Into the ether. I would love that. If ghosts were sitting around like eating popcorn, listening to this, that would be amazing. I am always wondering how signals from life are perceived on the other side. Uh, Do they hear it exactly like we do? I've heard one famous EVP where they believe they caught the spirit of a a well-known lady at this famous hotel. And she says, I can hear you. I cannot see you. Oh, yeah. Which is, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Same thing with her. (laughs) They can hear her later, but cannot see her. Yeah. Yeah. And so she was just as perplexed as the ghost hunters. Well, I think one of the points I was trying to make in the cold open was that we've spent eight years now, we're going into our ninth, talking about UFOs, cryptids, disappearances, and ghosts. But how many people out there are going to encounter those things? How many people in our audience <sighs> are ever going to see a ghost, ever yeah. see a cryptid, hopefully not be abducted by an alien, Right. Or disappear. You know, I hope that that's not going to happen to anybody. But you know what every (laughs) single person listening to this show is going to do? Everyone that's listening right now, you're all going to (laughs) die. Absolutely. And thank you for that 2023 memento mori, sir. (laughs) No, uh... I mean, it's like my aunt yelled at the top of the roller coaster when we're about to go down (laughs) that first hill. We're all going to die. And then everyone screamed. By the way, her birthday's coming up. Happy birthday, Laurie. Oh, happy But I, I just wanted to say that I think that in a lot of ways, this is something that's more germane to everyone that's listening than anything else we've talked about. Because it's like, hey, you know what? I can, maybe I should think about this. And well, I'm not talking about in a morbid way, by the way. No. This isn't a, we're not doing a downer of an episode here. We're talking about what is that experience like? The actual experience of crossing over. Everyone wants to talk about near-death experiences and right. going away and coming back. But what about just going away? What is that like? Yeah, you're right. And you know, there's one thing that we're all experiencing that I have in the last few years come to realize myself when talking about this subject is that we're all experiencing it as children because you and a lot of our friends are of this age where now as children, we're having to deal with this with our parents. That's right. And sadly, if they've gone on or they're approaching whatever it is, it's interesting to see it from this viewpoint. And, you know, you have the distinction of being in that, what they call sandwich generation, where uh, you have older parents and aunts and uncles, but you also have a child to raise. So you're kind of in the middle trying to make it all work and and soothe yes. everybody on both yeah. sides. And that's hard to juggle. For myself, it's interesting to perceive this in a way that you cannot when you are younger, because you're just not there. I can conceptualize the feelings. And I think I'm very emotive. I think I'm very empathetic in a lot of ways. I try to view it and I can imagine what it's like being older, but you don't get that because you're not there yet. And it's the gestalt of all your life's experiences, plus those of the generation of folks before you that you still love and are still around. And and what do we do for them? And hopefully we can all be there to comfort them as much as possible, as much as we hope that somebody will be there for us to comfort us. 
I guess that is one of the sad things about it for a lot of people when they get to that age, depending on how much family they have, they may or may not have someone around to comfort them when they get to that point at which they're about to uh, pass away. And we've talked a lot about the technicalities of ghosts and the paranormal on this show, whether it's the Estes method or what, you know, how the different ways to communicate and ghost boxes and Frank's box and this and that and the other kind of box and radio waves and all of that. And there's been a lot of speculation and it's just speculation. That's all it is. <laughs> One of my son's vocabulary mm-hmm. words this past week was speculate. He was like, what is that? I was like, I can tell you all about this word. <laughs> this is um, what we do for a living. Yeah. <laughs> And whether they want to admit it or not, everyone else is, for the most part, on most everything we talk about, because you have some good theories, some things may make sense, but nobody really knows. That's right. You can't get into this without touching on the idea and those buzzwords that we always use, quantum Mm. physics and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. extra dimensions and and that sort of thing, because there is this idea, especially for those of you who've seen Interstellar, that it's this other dimension that can look back into our dimension. In fact, uh, I was looking at a YouTube video, uh, which Forrest and I both watch. This is a really great channel called uh, Tybees or Tibbies, T-I-B-E-E-S. It's got Mm -hmm. almost 900,000 subscribers. It's Toby Hendy, who is Australian. Mm -hmm. I I take it she's a mathematician or researcher. She does these really cool short videos explaining things. She did this one 60-second video. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. And it was a demonstration. It's kind of like a flatland demonstration, which, you know, we always talk about that famous mathematical book, come up on the show a lot, but just the That's difference right. between, you know, the second and third dimension. And she's standing there uh, in this demonstration. It's only 60 seconds. And she's got a chalkboard, magnetic chalkboard. And she's got her character that she's drawn, a little girl. And the girl has a little safe. And inside the safe, she has these precious gems. And the safe is a sealed box. So for the little girl, her gems are safe inside that box. But for her and for all of us in the third dimensional world, we can walk right up to that chalkboard and just pull those gems right out of that safe without opening it, and she won't even see what happened, that two-dimensional girl. And the other thing that uh, Tibby or Tybee talks about on that video is what the next dimension is to us. Something could come and take the yolk out of an egg without breaking the shell or look inside Mm. our brain, Mm. she says. It's really fascinating. So when you think about that, it's hard not to imagine that someday there might be a halfway scientific or fully scientific explanation for what a ghost is or for what happens to us when we die. Right. But in the meanwhile, it's speculation. And it's speculation about how to interact with it. And I do think, and and I think we think on this show, that there are folks that do seem to be able to lean a little bit into that next dimension. It's like in the movie Ghost. If anyone has mm-hmm. seen it, it's an old movie. <laughs> I now, so finally a lot of watched it have. last year because you've been <laughs> going on and on and on about it. There's a scene in there where the one guy down on the subway, he mm-hmm. like leans into the train cars that's going by and looks who's right. on the train and then leans back out. He's visiting another dimension almost within his dimension, trying to see what's happening there. And it's like this ability to transcend and see or communicate beyond the reality that we're all restricted to. You know, there's also another great explainer that's animated and uh, a little longer and more uh, fully. And we've posted this before, but it's an animation from, I think, What the Bleep uh, and their YouTube channel called Dr. Quantum in Flatland. And uh, it's about five and a half minutes long, uh, but it kind of fully animates not only from Dr. Quantum's uh, as a perceived superhero that can fly around and is in three dimensions, but also interacting with a two-dimensional world where they're freaked out. And again, it's a little dot lady, and she is freaked out because she can hear him 
because the voice is transcending those dimensions, the two dimensions that she's in and exists in and only knows, but she cannot see him. And she's like, well, right. where are you? This is freaking me out. And he's like, well, look, I just imagine I'm, I'm in three dimensions. And he pokes his finger down into her world. And from her viewpoint, vantage point, she just sees a line form, much like the, and, the line yeah. wolf. You ever the, the two-dimensional uh, skinwalker yeah. wolf? Yeah, that was from Linda Godfrey's book, God Rest Her That's Soul. Right. She just passed away. But uh, that That's wolf right. that came out of the corn stalks in the back field behind the people's house, and they looked yeah. at it, and then it turned sideways, and it was a straight line. Exactly. And so yeah. if that were possible, and of course, I guess the question here is, are there two-dimensional entities that exist only in the two dimensions? Because, of course, we're three-dimensional. And can you view from one to the other? And so it's the same thing where he says, hey, I can see everything in your house. I can see where uh, your your valuables are hidden. And she's like, what do you mean? How, how can you do that? It's impossible. It's By like, the way, what does that sound like? It sounds like the Bell Witch. Yeah. It sounds like Jeff the Everything Mongoose. else. It sounds like the wizard clip. It sounds like these things, these omniscient disembodied voices. And you must get these uh, pranksters that right. are in that dimension that are wanting to mess with somebody, spending all that time messing right. with them. And having fun with that power. It's like getting the power yeah. of the invisible man or invisible woman and all you go is, you know, you go into other people's bedrooms or whatever. You're, <laughs> you're just messing with people. Uh, sure, there is that. But I liked also the connection to uh, the anecdote or the analogy that we always refer to that was in our good buddy Richard Haddam's The Mothman Prophecies of sorts. And that is the uh, the perspective of the window washer up high who says, oh, there's an accident down the road, but you can't see it from yeah. on the ground. You're like, oh my gosh, are you psychic? Like, no, I'm just higher up and I can see it and you can't. It's yeah, just a different, different perspective. perspective. Yeah. Now coming back to the animated little short, Dr. Quantum in Flatland, what I also liked is that the dot, she says, we're not supposed to talk about this. This is forbidden to think right. about extra to other dimensions in that he's like, no, it's okay. Look, this is just part of reality. Right. You're not possessed. You're not a freak. It's just that I'm here, I know I exist, and you just don't uh, want to think about it or other people. And so he takes her on an adventure. Let's go check out these other dimensions which do exist. And as a side note, early on when we started talking about this in portals and other dimensions, it started mentioning things like you know, Dr. Michio Kaku and his team of theoretical physicists who are studying the 11-dimensional model. And he says, well, there's another team. And these are very smart people, okay? A thousand of me would not even make a <laughs> fraction of them in brain power. And they're studying a 12-dimensional model or an 11-dimensional model. And they think it's possible. And if you can prove it with mathematics that it is possible, then in our world, that means it's possible. But we had somebody write in, it's like, stop talking about these portals and dimensions. They, they, they don't exist. This isn't real. And all I could think was, I am amused by your confidence, sir. Yeah. That knowing what's really there and what's not. And I could sense the tone of a little bit of fear. Like, don't talk about this stuff. This is ridiculous. Right. Because I don't want to think about this. Red pill, blue pill. You don't have to. Yeah. But you also shouldn't prevent the rest of us from pondering the mysteries of the universe. And part of this That's is right. a mystery that we all transcend, which is the moment of death. Well, everyone has a different take on this. The, the atheist says it's like a light switch when you die. It's just over. The agnostic says, well, something probably happens, but I'm not sure what. The devout member of the insert religion here believes the dogma associated with whatever that religion is. But what really happens? There's a question the living don't get the answer to. But the dead, they all know, even if it's just for a moment. Or is it for eternity? 
Anyway, a few nights ago, I was out to dinner with my wife, Emily, and we were introduced to someone with a job we had never heard of. She is an end-of-life doula. Now, to be clear, she's new to this. It's not something she's been at a super long time. She's not teaching other people about it. It's just somebody we met who had uh, gotten into this, and we found her to be a very fascinating person in person. There was something different about her. We talked about a lot of things with her that were personal, and there was uh, information imparted by her that seemed to indicate that she knew more than the average person, I guess. Of Mm -hmm. course, she could have been cold reading us, I guess, but I've spent more time (laughs) with her now, and I don't believe that was the case. Yeah. But uh, her job is to help people who are near the end of their life. Uh, They might be in hospice care, or they might be suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's, and she comes around and comforts them and helps them feel taken care of and loved. And I can't think of a a much more noble profession. It's right up there with nursing or being a doctor or any kind of thing where you help other people. It's a cool gig to be doing. And it's it's very selfless in a lot of ways. You're giving your time to people who are, they only have a few moments left on earth in this plane of existence before they make that great journey that we're all going on. And, And maybe it's all different for each of us, but in a sense, this process is the same how we deal with it and what we think about it for ourselves and for our loved ones around us is all different. But there are a lot of matching themes that we've noticed after this interview uh, that we've come across and that people who are about to pass, you may not believe all the same things, but you kind of go through the same processes in a sense. It's fascinating. And, you know, God bless her for, for doing this. It's much better than that cat who uh, lives at the hospital, who sits on your chest as you're about to pass and steals your jello. I have to admit, when I figured out that I had spontaneously run into Lauren, who we're about to meet at a restaurant, I was a little concerned that she was the cat and that I was the one in danger. <laughs> so uh... that's true. You were, um, uh, let, let's just say, uh, Scott and I did not talk about this for quite a while because I believe it was and still is for him something ineffable about the inscrutable. He can't explain how he felt. He just felt this was something special. There was something unusual about the encounter. I will say that. I've met a lot of people in my life, a lot of people. I lived in New York and Los Angeles for over 20 years combined and uh, crossed paths with all kinds of folks from the subway to the streets to uh, work and everywhere. And there was just something different about Lauren. Uh, That's the most I can say. It's hard to transcribe. Well, So moving on and getting into the show, tonight's show is a bit off the beaten path for us. It's got more of a spiritualism bent to it than we normally lean into, but we thought it was a conversation worth having. We all have family members, like Forrest said, that might be older or ill and facing the circumstances we're going to be discussing. And and, and like I said, we're all on the same train, so we're all going to get there too at some point. We're all going to that last station, or as uh, the Traveling Wilburys saying, uh, we're going to the end of the line. So, (laughs) and that's a great song, by the way. If you don't know who the Traveling Wilburys are, look them (laughs) up. Uh, It's an amazing group of talented musicians, but end of the line, great song. It is very enjoyable, I must say. And look, part of this is I enjoy all the various beliefs that people have and ideas on something that you can't really nail down or really have no proof or evidence of other than it happens. So I enjoy the variety. And I will say, this is not getting down on anybody, but if you don't believe in anything, that nothing happens, that it's the light switch going off, you're in the cold, cold ground of moldering. All I can say is that has got to be the most boring conclusion I can imagine. Well, death is something I would say a lot of people refuse to think much about, but maybe there's some value in trying to wrap your mind around it ahead of time and thinking about what it might be like or feel like 
before you're in those last stages of it. Like what I said about other dimensions. People don't want to think about it, but maybe they're real. Consider that. That's right. Maybe that's where we're headed. Hi, this is station KOA in Honolulu. And when we're not broadcasting number code, we're listening to Astonishing Legends. 14, 9, 19, 9, 14, 7, 12. So uh, we did call Richard Haddam up and asked him to join us for this discussion, uh, which he did. So, uh, Sarah, if you wouldn't mind, and Happy New Year, Sarah, would you please roll the first segment of our discussion with our guest, Lauren? All right, so we are back in 2023, and we are welcoming back our dear friend, Richard Haddam, to join us for this uh, session today. Rich, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. This is so great. I like being the last of 2022 and the first of 2023. This And this is exciting, because this this one sort of came out of nowhere. Yes, it did, and we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit. I, I hope you uh, had good holidays with your family and your party that you invite me to every year that I never get to go to was good. You have an excuse, Scott. You're on the other side of the country. Forest, on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Christmas Eve, and I am with my own family 1,100 miles away. So I, I do live in L.A. with Rich, but to counter that, that's the only time he invites me over when he knows I'm not going to be able to attend. So, no, we all missed uh, each other, and uh, we hoped you had a, a great uh, holiday, Rich. Yeah. And thank you so much for attending our roundtable, which uh, was a smashing good success. That's my second favorite party of the year. But Forrest, I just do want to point out, on the invitation that I send out, it clearly states, bring the kids, bring the parents. Oh, One I of see. these years... <laughs> Bring them down, and then you guys all come out. If that were ever to happen, then Scott and his family are showing up, and we're not just leaving for the evening. It's going to be a week-long hellish experience that you'll wish uh, you'll regret for the rest of your lives. You Wait, I, I invite you over for one night, and then that equals you're going to stay at my house with your family for a week. Yeah, it's a Randy Quaid situation. It's like any uh, vampire evil spirit. You, you gave permission, so uh, we're setting up camp. Got it. Okay, understood. Well, Scott, you and I actually didn't have a lot of chance to talk to each other. I think perhaps it's per <laughs> on purpose, <laughs> giving each other a break from each other. But we did communicate a little bit. And recently, you had quite an interesting and uplifting, remarkable, poignant, significant experience, interaction with somebody. And you had not even yet told me a whole lot about it. So both Rich and I are, are very interested now to find out what that's all about and all we know is that you were moved quite a bit, you and your wife, in meeting this new person, which we're both all very excited to meet ourselves. So why don't you get us started here with the with a background on what led to this meeting? Okay. As you guys know, or at least I think you do, Christmas is kind of a difficult time for my family, as it is for a lot of people, but uh, specifically for us, because my mother-in-law passed away two years ago on December 22nd. And uh, we had just come back from being out of town, my wife, Emily, and I, for the holiday. And it was a four-hour drive, and we wanted to uh, go get something to eat. So we dumped the kid off at the house with the dogs <laughs> and went out to our favorite sushi restaurant. And we'd had a very nice break, but we were also a little worn out emotionally, which I think is something probably 95% of people can relate to after Christmas and the holidays. And um, we had gone to this place called Imperial Koi. It's here in Greensboro to get some sushi. And... 
one of the uh, folks that works there, her name is Anita, and we're on a first-name basis with her because we go there about once a week. And whenever we're in there, she seems to be running the place. When we're in there, she seems to be in charge. And everyone that comes in, she knows and says hello to. And everyone knows her. So that's the another like kind of upside to getting there. It's nice to go and we'll sit down at the bar because she works at the bar too and have some sushi and talk and catch up. Are you like a local celebrity in Greensboro? No, no, I'm no, not at all. Okay. Anita makes everyone who comes in feel like a celebrity. It's not about us. Okay. Yeah, no, definitely not. You're not walking past people who have been waiting for an hour and they're like, Mr. Philbrook. Uh, this no, way. but I, I will say that I do text her directly when we're coming in and she saves us a couple seats at the bar. So there's- Oh, nice. Follow, follow <laughs> but I think she does that for her. Everyone. She knows how to make everybody feel special. So we went in there, we sat down, we had come on short notice. So she, we're sitting up there at the bar and she had another friend of hers sitting in there. She often has uh, folks there that she knows personally sitting there. And there was a woman there named Lauren. And she introduced us. She said, this is my sister, Lauren, but she didn't mean literally, but like her very, very close friend. And after Emily and I were got done talking about our recent trip to the beach and our all of that stuff and Christmas, and being on the backside of the holidays, we uh, started talking to Lauren. And eventually the conversation came around to asking her what she did, to which she replied that she was an end of life doula, which is not something I had ever heard of. Like many of our listeners, I know what a birth doula is, but I had not heard of an end of life doula. And she explained what she did and spoke to us a great deal about the experience of passing away and helping folks who are near their end of life. So I sat quietly. I said nothing about Astonishing Legends, just listening to her stories and observations there for a little bit and her personal experiences. And the more she spoke, the more what she said aligned with a lot of the things that we've learned and discussed on the show. And as that unfolded, the more I was getting very fascinated about how much common ground there was between things she was saying and stuff we've already talked about. Now, to be clear, she has not heard the show. She doesn't know our back catalogs or any references you guys make to prior episodes. She's not going to know. But that was the other part of it that really made a connection for me because she was mentioning things that we had talked about without ever having heard the show, which leads to that common area about how at least we think things are working. So after a time, Emily, my wife, says to me, you should have Lauren on Astonishing Legends, which of course I was already thinking. I thought it would be a good idea to ask her about it and bring her onto the show. So the other thing that I wanted to point out, Forrest and I talked about this a little bit offline before recording today is how sometimes the show seems to take on a course of its own from topic to topic and guest to guest. And we have learned to recognize when that's happening. And we trust that the universe has a reason for it. And maybe it might supersede our topic plans for the next episode. And so when it happens, we put our main topic pipeline on a sidetrack and then we move things into position like we did with the Duffy's Cut shows that we just recently did. So without any further ado, Lauren, I want to uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight. We've come to believe that some stories need to be told at a certain time, even if we don't know why, and this seemed like one of those times. Maybe somebody in our audience needs to hear from you. Uh, whatever the case, I want to thank you for taking time out to come in and sit down with us. Yeah, thank you so much. You and Anita are, are good friends, I take it. Yes. At, at the restaurant, yeah. How far back do you guys go? I don't know. I've been going there for years, but we have this thing like I can feel energy and when someone needs my presence or just being there. Like I go places sometimes and I don't even know why I go. But Anita always she'll call me when she's feeling down and like I'll feel her energy and like go up and just try and make her feel better and listen. I think the biggest thing is for anything is listening and just being there and holding space. 
I want to talk about what you're doing now, but like I want to back up first to, to the extent that you're comfortable. What put you on this path of doing what you're doing in terms of the end of life doula and the other and the other spiritual work that you do? Is this something that goes back to experiences you've had going back to being a child? It goes back to probably about four years old. I've always seen and felt spirits and always had to have nightmares. And, you know, your parents would be like, oh, no, there's nothing there. But, I mean, I never slept at night. They literally had to lock me in my crib so I wouldn't get out and, like, play with my Barbies but talk to people. And um, I guess I was talking to spirits. And I used to go to my neighbor's house, like, go leave messages for her mom in, like, a sand garden like just, I guess, taking care of the elderly, being four years old, I didn't realize that. I talked to my mom's friend over Christmas, and she was like, do you remember going to my house and walking in the door and leaving messages for my grandmother? And I guess it just happened then. And, like, I've always felt energy. Like, I never understood it, but now almost being in my 40 years old next month, finding out being an empath has definitely helped me because— I was seeing them even as a child, and I even knew when my grandmother and grandfather passed away before people even told me. I just felt that energy, and then my horse trainer, he was talking about going out of town, and his dad was going to pass away, and I said, you can go out of town. He's going to pass on Tuesday, and I told him that, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I told him that, and then, like, spirit was like, no, it's okay. Tuesday came around. I text him at 12 o'clock. I'm thinking of you. He looked over, and his dad was taking his last breath. And last week, I was driving home at night after work, and I was like, I think my neighbor passed away. The next morning, the EMS and police were there. He died. I feel it in my own body. And then I just had a, a lady recently pass away, and I literally felt her dying through my own body. Like, I can feel the hot and cold, what they're going through. And I looked it up, and I was showing Scott about it. And we pass through our chakras. Like, we have chakras in our body. And our root chakra is their survival mode and being here on Earth. When you start to travel out of your physical body, I call this a meat suit. So when your meat suit dies, you know, your spiritual body comes out, and it goes up and out and through your pineal gland and your crown chakra. That's why they see loved ones. You realize you're connected to everything. There's no separation. The world we live on wants you to feel separated. But when you're dying, you realize that there's no separation. You talked the other night about when you're around these folks that you can sometimes sense that their loved ones are present near the end. Yes. What is that like? If you're open and aware and like next time you're having a loved one pass, go in the room and just feel the energy, the tingling. There might be tingling on the shoulders or um, right now I have chills. Like literally my body is chilly. I can feel the energy of the other side. One of the things that Lauren just said in this segment that I thought was really fascinating was when she mm -hmm. said, this world wants you to feel separated. And yeah. I thought that that was interesting it's almost like it was something about like it's a test from this plane. Mm -hmm. There's some functionality built into it. Let's say it's just a computer program or whatever it is, but there's some right. functionality built into it that's isolatory. It's trying to 
almost in a natural way to separate us, to spread us out and to get us disconnected. So if we want to be connected and to be perfectly cheesy about it, and from her point of view, you have to love one another, love your neighbor, Mm -hmm. love your friend, love your stranger, love your enemies, love everyone. And that part takes work. And if you don't do the work, then you wind up separated. And that's just the natural state of this plane of existence. And when she said that, I was like, oh, that kind of resonates a little bit. I I thought that was interesting that that was her perspective of a difference between here and the hereafter. I personally saw it two ways when she said that. And it's something that actually I didn't start thinking about this until you started making notes on this later, because the first part is what are you talking about when you say this world? And so my personal belief is that I think this experience uh, whatever it is on earth that we have to go through. And I, I believe that we come back again until we, we actually learn something is that the reason is that it's separate is that don't think about the other stuff. You got to be here now, person. Think yeah. about who you're treating well or poorly, how you treat yourself, but mostly the others around you. And if you're spreading love or hate, what good is that? What are you doing to contribute Are you just taking? Are you giving back a little? Whatever it is, that's got to be separate than what lays beyond because that's for later. Right now, you need to focus on this. Stop thinking about other stuff. Be here now with the people you care about and do something. And so I I see it as a very separate thing, which is why, of course, if you uh, do believe in reincarnation like I do, you don't remember all your past lives. However, another fascinating thing that I I personally love is uh, children who do remember a little bit of it. It's not totally snipped off. There's a little bit of a dissolve in film terms from one world to the other, and it can last for a little bit. And they say by about the time you're 10 or 11, you totally forget that. But for some people, it still lingers a little bit. And to me, it's a glimpse. You don't get the full view. You're not supposed to get all the answers because you're not supposed to know. But you can look back and see a little glimpse of a shadow out of the corner of your eye of what possibly might be and that it is a it's a wonderful process. It's painful. It's messy at times, but it's it's there now on the flip side of that, this world and you could think of it as this Western world. We try to sanitize death. We want to get rid of it. You get in that box. Maybe we'll have an open casket if uh, somebody can put enough makeup on you and putty and then you're going away and we're going to forget about you. Because yeah. we don't want to know what happens. Just go away, please. Yeah. Leave us yeah. alone. We loved you now, but like it's time for you to just kind of vanish. And uh, I know that sounds very cynical, but uh, I do feel our way of looking at it in the Western world is different from a lot of other cultures, which venerate the ones who have passed. Yeah. Sometimes there's ancestor worship, but they have a different relationship than we do here in the West, which is, uh, again, to sanitize it so we don't really have to consider it. And it kind of goes away. And uh, we do think about our loved ones, of course. They're in our hearts and in our thoughts, but in a different way. And uh, I have a very good friend whose significant other had a dream about a past parent. And I remember the description of that. I said, well, what do they think? Because it was, again, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, about very vivid dreams with past loved ones, especially parents coming back. And I asked uh, my friend, what did your partner think of that encounter in the dream. And they said, this is while the person's experiencing the dream and the loved one, like they were kind of shocked that they're there. It's like, and then they got kind of angry. They were like, you're not supposed to be here. You've passed. You need to go. I don't want to see this. Right. And here's the thing. It's not cruel. It's how the person has already processed the grief, right? Yeah. Yeah. They've already went through this really painful grieving period of like having the parent pass away. And now 
they want to be done with that. They don't want to keep re grieving and refeeling these, these, uh, you know, horrible, awful feelings of loss. Yeah. And so they weren't pleased to see them again. It was like, yeah. don't make me go through this again. I don't want to have to think about this. So it's interesting how different people take this, but yeah. we're going to talk about that in a little bit about past loved ones showing up again in your dreams and it being very lucid dreams. Well, in this next segment, you went on to ask Lauren about when she first realized that she was different from other folks. When you first started you know, as a very young person, you started having these feelings and noticing that you had some extrasensory abilities. How then does that lead to what an end-of-life doula does? How did you get into that? And if you could explain to our audience, because I'm sure a lot of folks, like, mm -hmm. like Scott said, know what a birth doula is, but we're not so certain of what an end-of-life doula does, what their responsibilities are, how they interact with the patient, and how you get into that, and what exactly is an end-of-life doula? So an end-of-life doula is someone who is with the loved ones in the family emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. We do the advanced directives. If someone doesn't have advanced directives done already, we do bucket lists. If the loved one wants a bucket list, we do like even videos. If they have grandkids, we'll do that if that's what they need or want. And then mostly like sacred space, like just being there for them. You know, even if they don't want to talk about it, you're just there just to understand and know that they're loved and they're not alone and that they're supported. And a lot of them don't really talk much, but I can feel that energy if they want to interact or if they need something. But mostly it's just being there and supporting them and not alone because a lot of people are scared of death. And I used to be scared of it, but now it's like I feel like it's just your meat suit dying and your soul just changes form and is another also like past lives. And that's what I do for people. Like if I feel drawn to put pictures around with the loved one's face, even if they don't open their eyes, then they see their loved ones. I really want to start doing the sound healing and Reiki. You know, I usually play, I don't know if you ever heard the garden and I play amazing grace for them. And usually I know if someone's passing because I hear owls or I see them. And they usually let me know that someone's about to pass soon. That was one of the things that you said the other night about the owls, that it's something that's come up on the show a lot. And there's a whole philosophy behind the appearance of that. So that's something that jumps out to you when, and you just start seeing them when you know that somebody's about to go. Yes. When that happens. Yeah. So the last one, I kept seeing owls all day and I went to the house and I, you know, talked to the daughter and I was like, I've been seeing owls all day. And she goes, oh my gosh, I had a dream about my stepfather when he died and an owl came in. And I was like to myself, he's passing tonight. And then it passed that night and like the lights were flickering. And then after when the hospice came, the lights were flickering. So that's them like leaving the body and going into spirit. And they're here for about three days and then they usually go do things like that usually happen to other doulas that you know? That uh, and is there an organization? How do you become a doula? Is, it, is there a, an association? Or and then how do families reach out to doulas? Is there some kind of network that you can all share and, and practice and train with to become some kind of uh, for some kind of certification? Yes, I just did a doula givers institute, so it's online and you can do it at your own pace, and it's the spiritual, emotionally, and just learning that way. 
Have you talked to other doulas that have had very similar experiences or is it all different for every practitioner? People all pass away in different uh, in different manners, but there are a lot of similarities I've noticed just in my own life and my own family of uh, the same kind of going through the same kind of things, being visited by deceased relatives, them experiencing kind of the same things and same dreams. And it's like, it, it doesn't match exactly, but it all kind of rhymes, if you know what I'm saying. Do the doulas notice that there are similarities and you have the same strange experiences that you've had, which we're going to ask you about after this. Yes, I do think some of them do have the same experience and some have different because everyone's journey is different. All of our journey and all of our experiences are different. So I have heard some that have the same experience and some that don't. I feel like for myself, I'm more of on the spiritual level. I think that's part of like how I am naturally you know, my imagination and different things. I'm always like the spiritual zone. It's harder for me to stay more grounded. I think that's the thing I communicate with the angels and stuff. So I think it's more for just their experience. And I've seen on the doula givers Facebook page that some have the same, but some have different. So I think it's more for the person. For me, it's more, I guess, the spiritual aspect and helping the family because there's so much loved ones and dogs, all animals are waiting for you at the light. It's even in the blue book. And I argue with my parents because they're like, you're crazy. And I'm like, almost at 40, I'm woo-woo to my family, uh, which is okay now. Like, I'm like, this is who I am. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be open. What is the blue book? Is that is there is there a manual at all this? So the blue book is what hospice gives you when the loved ones are passing. Um, and okay. it says in the blue book that they start to see angelic figures, angels, and then they start to see loved ones. That's why I say when my parents argue with me, I'm like, you don't believe me, but it's in the blue book. I think they're kind of scared of death because I'm like, I just want to get people to learn that it's not a scary thing. And no one really wants to talk about it. Like when I talk about it, sometimes they're like, okay, that's enough. Like you can change the subject. Does it make them uncomfortable because they, they have a personal religious views of how things are supposed to go and this runs counter to that? Or because sometimes I think certain psychic skills run in families, but it sounds like maybe your parents aren't quite as open or I don't know, mm -hmm. how, how does, how do you fit into your family structure? So I think my grandmother was a medium and psychic, but she never said anything because that was not known back in the day, or you'd be a witch. Also, if you think about it, a witch is really a healer, someone that heals by plant medicine and different things. I have had people like get mad and be like, well, what's your religion? I'm like, my religion is love. Like we shouldn't judge anyone's religion or how they feel or what they experience. We can still love each other. But I do have some people talk about religion and argue about it. But then when the loved one's passing, they never mention any of that stuff. It's not a real part of what they were perceiving. Right. Yeah. It's like a crutch or something. I think so. I think people... This 3D world we live in, we think everything's separated. But when you're literally dying, like I feel like that's what the morphine does to the body. It puts it to sleep, the physical body. So the spiritual body can come out and through and realize that there's no separation. 
there's no one higher, no one lower. We're all God's children and spiritual beings having human experience. I guess people would call it religious dogma. Our rules, our regulations, the formats, the structures that we put upon spirituality, the source elements or the uh, the inspirations for those are real, but our rules kind of fade away. Our human devices to explain this and organize it, those kind of fade away, and that we all have an, a common experience when we pass that is just more encompassing in a spiritual experience that does not have a lot of the rules and, and uh, labels that we put on here on, on earth. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, we have to break in here because mm. I did want to talk about when she mentioned this blue book, I was like, what is that like Tobin's spirit guide? What is the blue <laughs> book? And she just said, she's like, yeah. oh, everybody knows what the blue book is because that's the world she lives in. That's her world. It's like, right, oh yeah, it's right. in the blue book. It's like, right. what is the blue book? Well, it, it also uh, equally fascinated Rich because I could see the wheel spinning. He wanted to get himself a copy of this. I'm sure yeah. it's like, well, we're going to yeah. get this. A signed first edition, no doubt. <laughs> right. It's, it doesn't go back that far. Now, I did yeah. find, again, maybe it's like martial arts and your sensei and your, your martial arts school and you have a yes. different kind of a, approach and viewpoint to this. But a lot of these folks have mentors and people they work with. And it, it, it might vary, again, depending on your personal viewpoint. But I did find... Well, first of all, you know what I want to talk about, how it connected here is, remember quite a while back, I told you I had a uh, one of my former bosses, one of my producers, this is when we were first starting the podcast, and she was like, oh, this is what a terrific show. And I looked up to her quite a bit and very much appreciated her opinion on this. And she, I said, well, what do, you, what do you think of that? She goes, well, I've come across some weird stuff myself, but I had this friend a long time ago who she was starting to work in the funeral home business, right? She was uh, essentially trained as an undertaker. And she started working at this one place, and of course, weird stuff started to happen. And I mean like old Disney kind of stuff, like rattling chains, moans, paranormal activity with your poltergeist uh, activity sprinkled in, all kinds of weird stuff. And it was starting to freak her out because she didn't necessarily believe in any of that. And of course, she had the graveyard shift, uh, literally like yeah. overnight or late in the hours prepping things for the next day. And this unnerved her so much because she didn't believe this stuff, didn't know what was going on that she was about to quit. And her boss said, oh, okay, you know, we have a manual for that. So take this home and read it. It's kind of like the guide on, <laughs> so you're experiencing weird stuff at night in a funeral home kind of manual. Yeah. yeah. And it just explained a lot of this of like, uh, I don't know what was in it. My boss, of course, uh, hadn't talked to this person in decades. And she's like, I don't know if I could get a hold of her, but uh, she shows, she she was a, a certain that this thing existed, and it may be informally. It just occurred to me. I have friends that own a funeral home, and it, or, uh, or her family does, and she's an yeah. avid listener to our show. So, oh, well, uh, any undertakers out there? Yeah. So, Donna, if you're listening, I, I would love to get a hold of this book if you know anything about it. <laughs> well, don't don't get your hopes up too high. Like I said, it may have just been this funeral home. Yeah. Where I also believe that there's probably the majority of funeral homes where nothing happens. It's pretty mundane. Right. Uh, right. You're just processing uh, folks that have passed. But on the other hand, I imagine there's got to be some homes where there's quite a bit of activity. Right. So it just depends. Like I said, it's not a manual throughout the, uh, <laughs> the Undertaker's Union Association where it's just uh, everybody knows about it. It may have just been generated by this funeral home family, I, I believe, who, who owned the home for many decades. So, right, right. But getting back to the not quite the other side yet blue book, I did find a mention of it from the bkbooks.com website, and it's Barbara Carnes, RN, registered nurse, 
end-of-life education materials for families and professionals. And she has something called the Little Blue Book. And as the subtitle here goes, and so much more, an end-of-life series for hospices. For 35 years, hospices, hospitals, and organizations providing end-of-life care have been using Gone From My Sight, the dying experience, to support families through their loved one's dying experience. Gone From My Sight, the hospice blue book, written by renowned end-of-life educator and hospice pioneer Barbara Carnes, RN, has become an essential tool for hospice workers to prepare families for their loved one's final moments. Gone From My Sight is part of a larger collection of Barbara's work called the End of Life Guidelines Series. This series of booklets for hospice workers provides families with the knowledge and comfort they need to understand the dying and grieving process. And going on with the description here on the main splash page, it says, Hospice care is not just about facilitating a comfortable death for the patient. It includes teaching and guiding families and friends through the dying process because it's the rest of us that are still alive. That's my saying that. But so there's yeah. at least a guide that she's written. And I've said this before, nurses, not so much doctors I've seen. Of course, they come in uh, before and diagnose and they come in afterwards, but it's oftentimes the nurse who's right there and has spent the most amount of time with the dying patient. And certainly the ones that have been around for dying members of our family are the ones that have told us probably within an hour when our loved one is going to pass away. So I believe in that. And I don't know what that is, if it's just experience as an RN, if it's something psychic or just a feeling, a gut feeling you pick up, but they were close. They were like, get down here now. You got about an hour. Yeah. Well, I just bought the book. I just found it on oh, Amazon. Okay. <laughs> so we got to put right. the link in the show notes. I just bought yeah, it. I'm, yes, I'm curious course. what it says. And here's another thing that Lauren said that I also thought was fascinating, which was talking about the morphine helping to release the spirit, which of course, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, that's medication. So people probably have all kinds of thoughts about that. But what was interesting about it to me and all the folks who are anti-remote viewing are going to be like, Oh no, here we go again. But just (laughs) let's just piss everybody off right now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just go. Let's, we might as well go whole hog here. The idea with the remote viewing is, or with the controlled remote viewing. And the reason it's called Mm -hmm. controlled is because part of the process is that you get your conscious mind out of the way so that the subconscious mind can take over. And this force reminded me the conscious mind is the CEO and you need to keep the CEO occupied in order to have this more specific subconscious experience, which they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. describe as spiritual, but the parallels between what she's saying this experience is like and how that works, I found striking, especially considering she knows Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing about remote viewing. Yeah. And I don't think our remote viewing friends know a whole lot about end of life doula, but they're Mm. speaking the same language developed completely independently of each other, which I think we start to see patterns like that because all we (laughs) do is cover stuff like this and you start to see patterns. It's strange that you've been saying that. I've been doing a lot of, uh, let's say, more uh, self-help kind of stuff, checking into it. Uh, Silva mind control and all that. Uh, this is all. This is the woo show. This is the twenty two thousand twenty three woo woo. Uh, we'll just get it out of the way here. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, more woo for you. Uh, I, I, I had a rhyme. I forgot it right now. But this yeah. is the idea, though, is that your conscious mind, your overthinking mind, your your overanalyzation mind. As meditation teachers will tell you, your mind is just a tool. It's like your car. You don't sit there in the driveway and just rev it all day long until you run out of gas. Yeah. Okay, the car is meant for a specific purpose. It's a tool to help you accomplish things, not to sit there and idle all the time. And that's what meditation is like. Let's turn that off for a while. You washing your hands? Feel the warmth of the water on your hands. Feel the smell of the soap, the sensation, the cleanliness. 
I get a little ASMR there for for the folks. Yeah, that was uh, awesome. The, the idea sure. is a lot, again, a lot of people, getting, I'm sure, just went to watch. <laughs> they their just hands. fell asleep or <laughs> yeah. now having freaking <laughs> dreams. It's getting back to be here now. Stop wondering about all this other stuff that's happening. Quiet that CEO. Well, look, folks, if you want a, a good al- analogy, imagine any boss you've had that was a micromanager and how they're over looking over your shoulder, like, how are you coming along? You need some help? Yeah, the bottom line is the CEO is kind of a jackass. And I think yeah. he's a product I mean, of this existence <laughs> that we have here. Well, they, they, they play a part like everything seat. else. Yeah, yeah, they play a part like everything else, but yeah. like everyone and everything else, they can overstate their boundaries there. And like, you can't get any work done. Yeah. Because uh, this is the, well, personally, because uh, just of my procrastination and, and what I'm like as a worker, just I, the, the question, what have you been doing all day? Yeah. Well, because that's hard to answer for yeah. me and I, I had no good answer, but yeah, just like, okay, just, just let me do my thing, please. And so that's what you talk about when you have the subconscious mind. And especially if you're trying to pass peacefully, it's the quieting of the mind. And a lot of people will say that now, uh, as benefits of, uh, psilocybin and other hallucinogens and other things that kind of, uh, quiet the pathways, open up other ones that you're getting past the crap you tell yourself every day. Yes. That's real. Yeah. Or as Russell Targ says in his, uh, his band Ted Talk, if you look in the mirror and you believe that you're just more than a sack of meat and potatoes, then maybe these concepts like remote viewing are for you. Hi, I'm Sarah, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, folks, this next segment is uh, the one where Forrest was actually talking a little earlier about asking Lauren about dreams and messages and dreams. I've heard personally from friends that have had experiences where they believe they were visited by a loved one. And something that came up over the last year and a half, actually, is where you will see somebody in a dream and it's a very lucid dream. You don't forget this. You don't forget it when you wake up. You see them. They will see their loved one. And in the dream, in this lucid dream, they know that they are past. It's not like a memory. Like I I have them all the time with my folks. My my grandparents are past. and, And we're just doing normal family things. But this is like, well, dad, you're not supposed to be here. You know, you're supposed to be in heaven or, or wherever. And the person is there with a just kind of a very neutral, placid smile, but they don't look at the person dreaming. They'll kind of look straight ahead and they don't react. And you get the sense like you were able to make an appearance, but your time is very short. Other people who have had experiences, it could be an NDE, it could be a, a near-death experience, it could be an out-of-body experience, but they'll meet a loved one they, and the message is, my time is very short. It's very hard to be here. It takes a lot of energy or whatever, but I can only deliver a short message. But what you're saying is that there could be a possibility of a longer exchange or or how does that work, essentially? So dreams really are them coming in. So between 12 and 6 a.m. is when the veil is really thin and where spirit can come in and communicate with you. It's not a dream. They're communicating with you to let you know they're okay. But that's why at that time they come in. The veil is so thin. They can communicate that long. That's why they say after they got to go back because that's usually when people pass away between 12 and 6. Mm. Like the lady just passed away at 5.30. 
But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned dreams because everyone's like, oh, I had a dream. I'm like, no, that's them coming in and communicating with you. I have that a lot with my grandmother or grandfather. She used to be a smoker. I'll smell smoke sometimes, and I'm like, oh, you're here. <laughs> oh, you're communicating with me right now. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. We, we've covered a lot of stories like that with scents that people have had encounters with scents, and I pay more attention to that now than I used to for sure. And Well, so a minute ago you mentioned that they're around for two or three days or like after their passing. That's different from like a presence in a dream that might happen much later, right? There's So you're saying there's almost like a hovering that happens after the passing? Yeah, there is a hovering that happens a little bit after. And my friend's a medium and we talk about it all the time, but she uh, helped two of her family members and a husband and wife. She left first and like she stayed around, you could see her staying around like cardinals. Cardinals are really them, really people coming in and different kind of birds. But then after that, if you're having like the kind of dream that Forrest was talking about a minute ago or something, like, do you think there's a loss of identity at a certain point after the person's been gone for a while? Or does it go back to like, uh, you know, these are weird technical questions, but like, do you think it goes back to a, a large pool of existence that's you know more fluid or does the do you think the individual soul stays individualistic as time passes after they've died what I feel and what I think is they can come back in different ways in different forms like we go back to source you know I do feel like they can come back in different like an animal or a, I do believe in reincarnation I feel like that's part of my horse my grandfather passed away and his last wish was to buy me my dream horse so but I do believe they stay around to make sure the loved ones are okay. And then they process their life. Because you do go through what you did in your life and see, like, how you were as a person and all of that. And also the forgiveness. Forgiveness is so important to do before you pass and work through that. But I think they can change form. But they're always here. Like, even while, you know, say Halloween, the veil is even thinner. Like, they can be around my feeling is they can be here all the time. I'll sometimes like talk to angels and I'll see a feather in the next hour. And I'll be like, oh, okay, thank you. It's all about being open and be like, oh, wow. There's so much more that we don't see in this 3D world that is eye-opening. And I think some people are just scared to go and understand that. Scott was telling me about, you know, some of your other podcasts about spirits and different things. I mean, it's all real. It's just if you are open to it. Well, what would you say about uh, the idea that, you know, some people will go to a quote unquote haunted house or location and they encounter a human spirit that is very negative. It's like the person or maybe just lost that the person hasn't passed on, gone into the light and are just mulling around, not knowing really what's going on, but still harboring a lot of their earthly negative emotions, anger, you know, rage, fear, doubt, all these kind of things, the hate that they were carried through life, and they're just trapped in kind of this earthly plane and have not moved on and have not had that realization that a lot of people have talked about when you do connect to the source. What's going on there? Are they just kind of trapped here? And is that a state that you've come across where you, you'll see somebody, maybe that even somebody you've worked with, where they seem to be still kind of stuck, like they just can't get past to the next stage? I haven't really had that, 
but I do believe in it. I don't go to haunted houses because I'm an empath. Like literally <laughs> I can, I go some places and I'm just like, I just got to leave. I know he was telling me about a haunted house and like what happened. And I said, I'm not watching that video. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> because I know that it's real and I haven't yeah. had anyone stay, but I know you just tell them you get someone to help them or even loved ones can be like, I see you. I love you. You can go on to the light. But I do have some friends, the darker stuff to help people with energies. I let her do that. I'd rather stay on the other part of <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> Since you do so much hand-holding at the moment of death, have you ever noticed somebody clinging to you or wanting to keep holding your hand as they, as they travel on? Do you have any, I guess, commonly called attachments because you work so closely with dying folks? I have before, but I've learned to, it's important with self-care. And I usually carry crystals and just do different rituals to help protect me. I know I'm protected by, I call it source energy, God, universe, Jesus, Buddha. Like it's all about love and just being present and just helping them, being that gatekeeper, as I call it. And what was that first experience or or I guess, series of experiences when you were younger that finally led you to this path of wanting to practice as an end-of-life doula. Mm -hmm. A few people that we've come across have had similar experiences throughout their lives, and, you know, they just go about whatever they're going to do with their careers and, and lives and families, and some are led, it seems, to a specialty like this. What happened in your life, do you think, that because of all these earlier experiences, led you to wanting to do this for a career? Because as Scott and I know, and, and Rich as well, it's that with empaths, it's a lot to take on. It's incredibly draining, or it can be. What led you personally? What, what series of events led you to want to do this? Mostly for me, I just love people and love helping. And just being there, I think it's the biggest way I can do. And it's also like gives me self-care and love back by helping someone. You know, a lot of times they are going through the denial in different stages and it's just you being there and just supporting them, working through it. You know, I'm almost 40 next month and learning about the empath parts. I think growing up, <laughs> I never could do the same way as every child. I tried so hard to learn the same way, but it never worked for me. So I would learn in my own way. Being a end-of-life doula is different from everyone else, and I think I finally found who I am at this stage in my life. It can be beautiful if you teach people to not be scared of death and work through it and be like, hey, you're going to see the loved one again. Okay, I wanted to step in here just again. I wanted to talk a little bit. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show about how this is something that is, Lauren has been doing for a little while here, and she's studying with other folks that uh, teach you how to be an end-of-life doula, and she has other people to help her stay centered spiritually. One of the things that I found about her is that she's very empathic. We'll talk a little bit more about that moving forward. And there's people that are like this, so people that are just so connected to the ones around them, and some so much so that they, they almost can't turn it off. And I feel like she has got this gift. There's something there. There's something very different about her. And there are people mentoring her. And I don't know anything about how she does what she does or the what the mentors do. But I get the feeling that uh, she was born with something. And rather than them helping her 
develop it, they're more helping her corral it, I think, is what it's like. And I guess, you know, with all respect to her mentors and teachers, this seems like, it seems more like people that come to somebody that's already got a gift and they say, okay, let's see if we can help you refine this. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds weird. And again, it's a woo-woo episode, but I'm just telling you, (laughs) if you you meet this person in person, there is something different, something different about it. So I don't have a whole lot more to say about that observation. I just think it's hard for it to come through in an audio interview. But, um, well, you know, I've uh, met a few people with, I think, some natural psychic ability. And yes, you can, you can, uh, you can poo-poo that. But when they tell you stuff that uh, turns out to come true, it's either that, or it's the most outrageous coincidence and series of coincidences that have ever happened to you. And then you, you wonder, like, okay, do I start to sound silly when I think this is just random coincidence, or is there something here? I've had these folks, though, who have uh, not really trained, but they will say that some of these empathic feelings, you have to learn to control them because it can be too much. And I think that's what Lauren is saying here, is that if you can't learn to corral them and fine-tune them, then it can be really annoying to a great degree and very irritating in many cases. And I've heard that from folks. And so that's why they try to find somebody who's a mentor who can kind of train them to quiet the minds, but also allow it in when you need it, because it can be a helpful tool. But as somebody I know who has uh, auditory events happen, it can be like a hundred people trying to get your attention all at once. And as we know, that's annoying. Yeah, it is. That's kind of like changing trains at rush hour at Times Square. uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're you're trying to move your path through and not uh, get caught up with it. A hundred people trying to get your attention and your work. Right. But uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to this next segment here. Uh, Rich is going to lead us in. I want to understand how you sort of see your job or your responsibility when you're with someone and it's, you know, it's like, okay, today's the day. You're sort of like, okay, Wednesday's going to be the big day. So I know the person's going to pass on Wednesday and that's when I have to really be there for them to facilitate this. Now I'm making an assumption. Is that how you feel? No. Well, I guess in a way, but I most, it's mostly about being present and there. I think when I knew that night she was going to pass, I was getting everything ready, communicating with the angels and just getting her room ready. Like I was putting pictures around her, playing that garden song, playing Amazing Grace and just talking to her and saying it's okay. How many times have you done this? You've been with people when they've passed and are there big differences? And what would constitute those differences? Well, I've done about 20, but I feel like they're all kind of different. They're different in a spiritual way. I think it's also for the family. I'm not just there for the person. I'm there for the family. Like if the family needs the love and support and just explaining to them. But a lot of the family is like, what's happening, what's going on, because the last one, she was trying to get out of bed, keep moving, and she had already, you know, used the bathroom. And I'm like, she's going to transition. So I called, you know, the hospice, and she said, yes, she's trying to go. So when they try and get out of bed and they're restless and everything, she was trying to, in the transition stage. But I'm mostly there also for the the family because they need that support because they're like, what's happening? And 
you explain what's happening to the physical body, to the spiritual body, and get them to understand that the loved one is okay and that they're supported from the other side. In terms of what you experience, you know, I've been reading a lot about something called the shared death experience, where a person will be present when someone passes on. And at that moment, that person will, in a way, experience that passing visually. They'll see, you know, they describe the walls of the room falling away. They can see the sort of next place that the person goes. They can, they say they can see the, the person's spirit body being released from the physical body. It looks different. It looks younger. It looks, you know, unencumbered by disease or age. And and they're experiencing all this while other people who are also physically present in the room are not experiencing that. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I usually feel that, what the person is feeling and how they're dying. I feel like also with loved ones in the room, if I can explain to them, like, be present and just kind of open and aware, because a lot of people are, you know, stressed and anxiety and crying, but they can't be present enough to feel it. You have to literally be present and in body and aware of it to feel what's going on. Because the last person, I, one of the family members came in and I said, be present. What do you feel? And he said, I feel tingling on my arms and shoulders and I'm relaxed. And I said, well, those are angels around. So it's opening them up to want to feel it. It's scary because it's something new. But if you're open and aware and you can like teach them, because I usually see loved ones on the bed that have passed and they're, you know, waiting for them. And that they're communicating with them and talking to them. But as it's happening. As it's happening. You see that or you see that in your, like, your mind's eye? Or I see, see it in my eye, mind's eye, like mostly my third eye. Uh-huh. Or I can feel it. They're showing up to help with the transition. Yes. And usually the loved one that they say they see is the one that's guiding them through. And that's a consistent part of their of the experience? Yes. So something that Rich and Scott and myself have discussed in our own near-death experience series a a few holiday seasons ago is the negative near-death experience where the person seems like they may not be going to a bright, shiny, happy place or being guided by loved ones and angels in that and I got a little bit of flack for possibly suggesting that this was a deserved experience, but what I really meant was that it was shown to this person in the dying process what they needed to see. It was a correction that they needed to experience before they passed on so that they were given a second chance to correct their ways or their thinking here on earth in this life. Have you, Lauren, ever experienced something that was not the same experience as the others in that it was the same pattern? I think that's what Rich was getting at, where the same types of beings show up, the same types of uh, heavenly beings, of past loved ones, that this was going to be a different journey for this person. Not to say totally negative, just that uh, it's like you, possibly a cartoon where you see everybody going in the same conveyor belt and the character goes off to the right, like, nope, that's not for you. Or I guess in just a little side uh, thing that Woody Allen has his dream that uh, in Stardust Memories, I think that 
when he dies, there's a big party train going to heaven. But no, he gets the train with three really quiet old folks, and that's the pattern of his life is that you're on another track. You're going over here. You don't get the fun party heaven experience because of what you've done in this life. You're going somewhere else. Has that ever been a sense to you that this person that you're with dying is not going to get the same treatment? No, I've never experienced it that way. It's usually positive because I do think we all go to the same place. It's just, it's learning the lessons and forgiveness also. Like forgiveness Mm -hmm. and letting go is the most important thing through this. Um, Them learning to forgive others, but especially themselves. And when you do that, you are released. Like, I don't feel like anyone goes, there's no heaven or hell. It's like good or bad. There's no really good or bad. It's We have lessons here on earth to learn before we go. Supposedly, we signed up a contract at what happens in our life this lifetime, and we work through it. And if we work through it, then I think we're free. But if we don't work through it, we come back in another form to go through it again. Like, because you think about it, like earth, you go back to the universe, you're going to come back, you're going to go back and forth. Some people choose not to, some people do. Which leads to that question of ghosts. Okay, and I know you avoid haunted houses, and I don't blame you, I do too. But it does make me wonder, I mean, ideally, in other words, the way it's supposed to work is sort of the experience you have, a person passes on, loved ones are there, they go to the next place, their learning continues, their spiritual evolution continues. But then there's, it's like, oh, but that house is haunted, or there's a ghost, or a psychic will go to a place and go, oh, yes, there's still spirits that are hanging around here. So what's happening in that case? In in other words, to me, that sounds like, well, it doesn't always work. Sometimes people, you know, don't quite make it over the hurdle into the next place and they get stuck. What is your understanding of what that experience is? What has happened to that person? Why, Why have they not made the successful transition? I feel like they have a choice to work through things. I don't know. You know, some people are left behind or different ways. Um... I feel like spirit ghosts are different. I don't go to haunted houses. I don't watch violent movies. I can't watch anything that with violence now. I'm just too sensitive. I really don't even watch TV anymore. I watch maybe Hallmark movies because they're happy. I know people laugh, but literally <laughs> I can't watch TV anymore because it's. I can I feel that. it in my body, like even the news. Yeah. I'm like, it's making y'all more angry, miserable, everything. Like, just turn it off. They want separation. They want us to fight. They don't want people to love each other. Just turn it off and like realize we are all connected and work with each other. And we can all have differences of opinion, but we can still be friends and still be loving and respectful to each other. Hey, I'm Kylie. And when I'm not... Mm, actually, I'm always trekking across the United States, and you know that Astonishing Legends is what is on my playlist. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, so one of the things that Lauren talks about, she talks a lot, just in general conversation, about talking to angels or spirits Mm -hmm. or guides. And she'll mention that they're angels, and she'll mention them by name, but she also has said 
that she doesn't really in, in conversation that we've had that she's not really sure what they are, but that they're yeah. there. And she specifically mentioned two or three angels, and one of whom has come up on the show frequently, and that's Gabriel. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Gabriel was mentioned in the Sludge Entity series as being the one who intervened or being called upon, I think, to help that uh, couple out with their son. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a particularly frightening series there. If you haven't heard it, go back in our archives. But then she also mentioned two other ones that I hadn't heard of, Sandalphon, uh, S-A-N-D-A-L-P-H-O-N, and then the other one, and it's hard not to say without a little bit of a smile, Metatron, who sounds like a transformer. <laughs> I, I went to that joke, but it's yeah. funny. I found a little information on Metatron, and, and even the website makes that joke. Okay. It's a pretty well-written article, I think, on Christianity.com, and the article's uh, by contributing writer Alyssa Rote, or Roat. And it gives a pretty good uh, summation, I think, on Metatron, because it's a name not readily bandied about in the older New Testament, I believe. And I think the article does a pretty good summation of what we're talking about when we talk about Metatron, because it's not a name that many people are familiar with, even if you go to church a lot, I think, in the, in the Christian sense. Alyssa starts off by saying, Metatron, quote-unquote, may look more like the name of a Transformer than an angel, but according to some, he is the most powerful angel in heaven. Metatron is a high-ranking angel, or being in Jewish tradition as well as in some Christian, Islamic, and occult traditions. To some, he is a once-human angel graced to gaze on the countenance of God as his scribe and a mediator between God and Israel. However, there are several issues with the idea of Metatron. And where does the legend come from? Well, Metatron is mentioned in the passages of the Babylonian Talmud, in mystical Kabbalistic texts, and in the apocryphal books of Enoch. The Talmud is a central text of Judaism, consisting of discussions and commentary on Jewish history, law, and customs, and for a long time the Talmud was passed down as oral tradition, until it was compiled and recorded in the 2nd century AD as a document called the Mishnah. I hope I'm getting the names right. Commentaries on the Mishnah were then written down, comprising the Jamara, the second part of the Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud mentioned above was completed in the 5th century AD. Well, we love history around here, so I thought I'd yeah. do that. Uh, the Talmud is not considered a sacred work in Christianity, and although some teachings from it might be compatible with Christian teachings, the entirety of the New Testament was completely written and largely compiled by the time the Mishnah was written down and made canon before the Babylonian Talmud came to be. The apocryphal books of Enoch are pseudepigraphical. Oh, I hope I'm getting that word right. <laughs> Meaning a work that is falsely attributed or whose claimed authorship is unfounded. So they just don't know. There are several of these works attributed to Enoch, though most people are referring to one Enoch when they speak of the Book of Enoch. These books are not considered sacred or inspired either. Like other apocryphal works, the books are prone to unusual theology and historical inaccuracies. So what do the legends say about Metatron? Well, according to these writings, Metatron was once a human named Enoch, who is mentioned in the Book of Genesis as a man who walked faithfully with God, though in one version Metatron was never human, nor did he come from Enoch. So Enoch was taken to heaven without dying, where he transformed into the angel Metatron and placed on a throne next to God's throne. He became second only to God in terms of power, wisdom, and glory, and all the other angels obeyed him. So uh, it goes on, of course, uh, to say, what does the Bible say about Metatron? And it, uh, the article says, Metatron is never mentioned in the Bible. However, Enoch is mentioned in two passages, Genesis and Hebrews. 
1518 and 115 respectively. So the idea though is that we've talked about Enoch and Enochian magic before. Uh, I think he first came up because he is tied to part of the mystery of Oak Island and that the nine chambers of Enoch may have something to do with the money pit. So yep. anyway, it's a little esoteric in a sense in that not much is known, but uh, he keeps coming up in our studies, in our, in our yeah. pathways here. So so let's look at uh, Sandalfun because this is interesting. Yeah. They're connected. Sandalfun, and it's spelled like Sandal, then P-H-O-N, mm -hmm. is apparently, uh, this is from unifycosmos.com, which is an interesting website. Uh, it has it has Sandalfun as one of two twins who were once human but have now risen to angel status. Metatron's twin, known for praying to God and the divine world as well as being linked to the tree of life. The tall angel is a nickname for him. He symbolizes hmm. our relation to both the earth and the sky. He knows the power of prayer, what it means to pray, and what it means to receive answers to those prayers since he was once human. And according to this uh, website, Sandalfon was the Old Testament prophet Elijah who was brought to heaven and turned into an archangel. Hmm. Sandalfon is one of the tallest angels. Moses was said to have called Archangel Sandalfon the tall one when he met him on his visit to the third heaven, according to Jewish apocryphal literature. Hmm. Archangel Sandalfon and Archangel Metatron are described as the twin cherubs of the Ark of the Covenant in the book known as the Greater Key of Solomon. That's interesting. Yeah. The feminine cherub on the left side of the Ark is Sandalfon, while the masculine cherub on the right hand is Metatron. Sandalfon, according to Jewish liturgical literature, collects the faithful's prayers and weaves them into a garland, which he then sends to the Lord. So uh, that opening quote, which I read, was uh, mm -hmm. from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem, Sandalfin. And if you listen to this other verse, it makes sense. And he gathers the prayers as he stands, and they change into flowers in his hands, into garlands of purple and red, and beneath the great arch of the portal, through the streets of the city immortal, is wafted the fragrance they shed. Hmm. So pretty interesting. These are the, yeah. you know, these are a couple of the names that Lauren brought up. Obviously, she could be researching these anywhere, but it's something that she mentioned to us when we were off mic, uh, as mm -hmm. well as, as as well as Gabriel. So it right. just adds a little color to the story. And, you know, if you believe any of this at all, as we say on the show, <laughs> well. there's a lot going on here. I don't know if anybody else has seen uh, one of the things that fascinates me. It pops up on Reddit a lot is what mm -hmm. angels supposedly really look like. And it's like a big collection of feathers and eyes. Have you seen that? Oh, uh, yeah, I've seen. Uh, it's really are... disconcerting. <laughs> Well, you wonder what's going on. Of course, uh, while I was at home with my with my pops, uh, yeah. we were binging a lot of these kind of uh, shows, and there was one on the Ark of the Covenant, and that was fascinating. And uh, yeah. that is in uh, that's on that's near the top of our list at some point yes, one of these is. days. But we want to yes. do it justice. But it, it was fascinating about what the Ark is, the purpose of the cherubim on top, and that it was ordered specifically to be, uh, you know, th with their wings facing forward and facing each other, and yeah. what the purpose might be technically for that. And part of that discussion is what actually was seen by people like Ezekiel, and the multiple wings, that's another one where uh, beings will have four wings, yeah, or multiple wings uh, associated with them, and just, anyway, yeah, it's pretty interesting, and, and uh, who knows? But like I said, it can be pretty disconcerting and like the shepherds in the field, when you see one, it's like, fear not. Uh, really, seriously, don't fear, because I know this is quite a sight to behold. So uh, who who knows when it's people... It's the same thing Indrid yeah. Cold said, right? Do not be afraid. Yeah, there's a lot of connections there, but a lot of it is uh, you're seeing something and imagine seeing something which is not of this world. 
and you're not prepared for it. And uh, it's pretty normal where these things come from, but, but you're not ready to process all that. Well, in any case, I think when you come across something that's otherworldly in any form or, or manner, it makes an impression on you. And you can either stuff that away to someplace nice and quiet where you don't have to think about it again, or you can start to wonder what's going on and how to deal with it. So you're an empath, right? Yes. That's a lot of work, right? I mean, you're getting, you're everywhere you are, you're taking on everyone around you, mm -hmm. what they're, what they're going through. Yes. Just from being around them. And right now I have a husband and wife that both have dementia and I really feel like he's ready to leave the world and I'm trying to keep him here and safe and comfortable and just be there for him. Well, I have a question for Scott, actually, in, in light of what we've been talking about here and his own beliefs. When you met Laura, what was it about the philosophy she's discussing, without giving too many personal details, of course, into your own life, but what were the broader principles that really resonated with you, that struck a chord? Because Scott and I have known each other over the years and have done this podcast and have gone through our own evolution of belief of sorts. I think his has changed quite dramatically since when I, when we first started talking about these subjects. And I think that's his path. That's what he's meant to go through, as well as myself, uh, that we're both evolving and adjusting uh, our, our belief set. But Scott, what was it about meeting her that really moved you so much? And how has that changed your philosophy on the other side, uh, on life after death for you and your wife? It was a unique experience and it's interesting to talk about it with Lauren right here. But I guess like, like I said, at the, at the outset and in the introduction, Emily and I were particularly, I think, worn down after the holidays, not in a bad way, but there was a lot of wonderful things about them, but there was a lot of intense stuff too, emotionally oh, yeah. across the board yeah. for us, not, you know, both internally, externally, just all around. The whole thing was like a tumultuous time and, and especially being the two year anniversary of her mother's passing, which was a, a particularly painful passing COVID related, which people listening to the show have heard me say in the past. And it's a very hard time of year for her. And when we got to the restaurant the other night, she was pretty worn down from that. I was also dealing with some, not to get too personal, but I was de I'm dealing with some like strange results on some stuff from a physical I had recently. So I was up in my head. She was up in her head. We were in a pretty weird place. And it was, when we sat down, we were talking about that. We were talking about getting back to work and all the things that we had coming up now, like everybody does at the end of the holidays. And just trying to maybe unwind a little bit. And Lauren was sitting there a couple seats away from us and her and Anita were talking and I could see that they were friends. And, you know, eventually, I guess this is the hardest thing to convey. And the reason that I had wanted to invite her onto the show was that because I sensed something myself different about her before we even started talking. And I don't know how to describe that. And there's no way for us to convey it here in this interview or on the show, really. It's a hard thing to wrap your head around. But one of the things I guess that's different for me since we started the show, and I don't know if I've said this before in other episodes, but I know I've said it offline to people at meetups and stuff like that, is that I wasn't really sure what I believed when we started the show. Then we had a couple of experiences that changed me. One, of course, is the one that people, it's actually a drinking game now for the show when I mention it, it's the Sally House in Kansas. Don't look it up, Lauren. 
but there were there are other experiences outside of that too. Very strange things that have happened. But all of that connected around to me going from I think being agnostic, calling myself an agnostic, to being someone who definitely believed and learned the hard way that evil was real. And my conclusion from a very yin and yang philosophical standpoint was that if that's real, then so must be the good, which is a weird way to come around to believing in a higher benevolent thing. So that's the journey I've been on, and I am more open now than I was when we started the show. I'm a different person. I'm still skeptical of a lot of things, but I've found that in the skepticism, there's not a lot of power or use in it. I think it's good to ask questions and look at things and say, oh, well, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. But like whether you believe part of it or you don't, it doesn't really matter. You take what you want and discard what you don't want. You're not hurting anybody. It's just get the information and make your own decisions internally. So I'm more aware of when I am in the presence of somebody like Lauren than I used to be. I used to not see, I wouldn't have seen her. I would have just been like, why are we talking? I don't know you very much, you know. It was different, and I have goosebumps right now talking about it, and that's the part that I can't convey to the listeners, and I, you know, I don't know if they can listen to this show and be like, I don't know about all this, and it's like, you know what, I don't care. I, I, I wanted to have her on and talk about what she does, because I thought it was really fascinating, and I would just say that when I, when Emily and I met her, we were at a point where it was a very good time to talk to somebody with her experience, and that was pretty unusual coincidence. And we all know about the coincidences. We talk about them on the show all the time. That's really helpful to Forrest and I to kind of get the context of where, where you sort of entered this whole slipstream of, of uh, connection. It sort of tees up something now that I'd like to ask Lauren, which is now that you're sort of with all of us and all the listeners and you have an opportunity, what would you like to convey to us in terms of the way we approach life. And from your perspective, what advice would you give the rest of the world if you could? I feel like the advice I give people is bring out the inner child again. And I mean, we all have stuff that we go through, trauma, different things, but it's about bringing your inner child back into the world and doing things that you love and just learning to have fun again. You don't take your car with you. You don't take your money with you. You don't take anything with you, but how you are as a person, the love, the kindness, and just how you, like your character and your heart. This stuff does not matter. People look at life and worry about, yes, we need bills and to live in the 3D and all this, but it is not everything. Like learn that, yeah, we have to have it, but there's so much more important things togetherness, connection, um, forgiveness. Like I've been on that forgiveness path. I don't know if you ever heard the Ho'oponopono prayer. It's a Hawaiian prayer. So you listen to it in meditation and it helps you forgive. Because the biggest thing is people, it's hard for people to forgive themselves. They can forgive others, but forgiving self literally frees you, like frees your, your body, mind, and your soul. Because we take a lot on. That's a great message, you know, but I mean, it's like people either hear it or they don't, right? So how do you, what kind of help do you think you can offer people if they're not reaching out to you in the first place to, you know, specifically, because it, it's beyond just being an end of life doula, the mm -hmm. kind of advice that you offer. Yeah. So I guess it's just right now, it's mostly word of mouth is how people get me. I usually help my parents, friends, 
if they need help or someone will call me and need someone there. I just feel like being there for people, like how I met Scott. I don't know why I get told to go places sometimes and I just go and then I meet someone and they're like, oh my God, like I needed to hear that. Like maybe I'm just meant to go places in life and be that, you know, guidance or, you know, I feel like my purpose is to help humanity and just be that, that heart that cares. I mean, I've always, you know, loved helping others. It's interesting, Rich, coming around to or what you said a little bit ago is, you know, for eight years, this is our 250th episode of the show. And we talk about all of this stuff as observers outside looking at it. And we spend all this time trying to get at it, get proof of it or get, you know, whatever this, I was, I was an EVP or the flashlights flickering and we're trying to figure all of that out and analyze it and talk about it. And then if you, meet somebody like Lauren who seems very much plugged into it in a very real way, that's the time to pay attention uh, as much as it is in all the other times when we're just making remarks on stories we've heard somewhere else. We've heard it from Scott's point of view, but now let's hear it from your point of view. You're sitting in a sushi restaurant, you're talking to Anita, you look over, you see two people that you eventually find out are Scott and Emily. Mm -hmm. Were you picking up signals or chills or what what were you getting from them when they walked in I was I was picking up chills and just signals and they looked like they've been going through a lot and I just started asking them questions and I could just tell they wanted it would be nice to talk to someone and just ask questions and see how they're doing um they just looked like they were going through a lot so I just wanted to make conversation. And then I was like, what are you doing? What do you do? And just that how it started. Does that happen all the time? I mean, is this like a couple times a week, you're in the grocery store, you're in a restaurant and you're like, I got to go talk to those people. Is that what it is? Usually at restaurants, usually at Imperial Koi. That's because my friend. <laughs> that's the hot spot. Okay, now everyone's going to go to this restaurant and just <laughs> sit there going, okay, yeah, come talk to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it happens every now and then. It happened at the gym. I started at Orange Theory, and two girls were talking about spiritual stuff, and I, like, chimed in. And now we're, like, soul sisters and talk <laughs> all the time. And they'll send me little things like, oh, I hear ear ringing today. I was like, well, listen, because usually when you have ear ringing, it's spirit telling you something or um, something that you're thinking. It's communicating with you that that's something you need to do or it's a good thing. Okay, so coming back around here to this last section, I don't know a whole lot about how Lauren does what she does, but empathic personality and empathic person, that's very clear. And what was mm -hmm. interesting to me when Emily and I met her and we were <laughs> at the restaurant that we've been talking about, you could see that she was connecting to, in an emotional way, to a lot of people in there, mm -hmm. even though she was sitting by herself. I don't know how to describe this. I can't see auras. I don't know how that works. Yeah. I, I don't know if I what I think about that, but I just felt like she just seemed like even though she was sitting alone, she wasn't alone. I don't know how to say yeah. it. Like there mm -hmm. was a lot. When I looked at her, I felt like I was looking at a group of people. Really? Yeah. And that's, I don't know how to describe that. And there's no way to right. get that out of this interview. And I was like, oh, we got to get her. I got to get her on the show. Yeah. And like, I don't know if it's coming across. I don't think it necessarily is, but I want our listeners to know I, it was a very sincere idea. Yeah. 
to try and convey that, but I, I don't think it conveys. And uh, there's something else that I want to say because we, we're getting near the end of the show here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that happens to us outside of the show that is really, really connected to us personally and connected to things that are happening in the people that we talk to or the subjects that we're covering that we would never talk about because it's Mm -hmm. really personal and you can't share it. And so internally you're thinking, God, Mm. if the listeners just knew this, they would not believe it because it's so amazing. But you just, you have to keep some part of yourself to yourself when you do what we're doing here. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, you know, because anybody can be listening to this. I'm still trying to maintain some modicum of privacy in my life. (laughs) But there are, I guess I just want to say there are other components of outside things happening. You know, it's not something that I want to put on a public podcast, but, and it's not just with this, it's with the Sally House. It's with a big, you know, take a drink. It's with all of, (laughs) a a lot of other topics when we say, hey, a topic came to us, a lot of times it's a lot more than just what we're telling you on the air that, that made it true. seem like it was time yeah. to happen. But some of it you think, oh, if I said this out loud, people would think I was crazy. But then you get to a series of coincidences, too many coincidences are happening, mm-hmm. you know? So that's as good as that's going to get, folks. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, boy, this is the last one of these I'm listening to. You guys are never going to make it. It's self-indulgent. It's self-indulgent. I've told you before we started years and years ago, my friend, that, uh, and I've told the audience too, because I believe this, is that we're all on a journey here together. We're just doing it individually, like death. Yeah. We Mm. all go through it uh, individually, but we're all in it together. And uh, I think, uh, I don't know if we all end up in the same place. I like to think that people we've interacted with who weren't so nice maybe don't share the same place because I don't, I don't want to see them again. But well, that was kind of interesting about yeah. what Lauren was saying earlier. You know, and everybody's got their dogma. I'm not saying, you know, right. that what she's saying is right or wrong compared to anybody else. But she was just kind of saying, well, I don't think there's a heaven or hell. There's no good and bad, really. Mm-hmm. You're just here to learn lessons. Yeah. You're here to learn the lessons. I guess, you know, if you believe in the reincarnation portion of it, which she said she did yeah. and you said you do and... And maybe it's like that thing. It's like Defending Your Life, a movie we frequently <laughs> reference. If you haven't uh, seen it, you go up and you you go to court. You have to make your case for, do you get to move forward or do you come back? You right. know, and do it all again. That's another one I recently watched a few months ago or last year, yeah. uh, probably over the summer. And that, what I liked about what Albert Brooks wove into that message was that it's about fear. Is that are you going to live your life fearlessly and do remarkable things or are you going to live all timid and balled up and only doing your small little things and thinking very small and and, uh, not, not venturing forth or are you going to live with courage? And fearlessness because that's how you really should experience this often scary, often troublesome, but often wonderful life that we're all living here together. I couldn't agree more. And um, I think aside from that lesson and some of the other lessons that we talked about or potential lessons we talked about, and you know, there's no bad advice here. It's, you know, it's just about, oh, do I believe this? I don't believe it. I don't care. There's nothing here that anyone is saying, uh, Lauren included, that's going to send you down the wrong path. It's it's all about yeah. your belief system. And, you know, what she talks about is being being loving and caring for people, especially when they're getting older or they're getting to a point where, Uh, they don't have a long time to live. And the other thing that she talks about is forgiveness. And she mentioned that Hawaiian prayer, which I thought was really fascinating. I'm probably going to not do great at saying this, but it is the Hopa Onopono prayer. Hopa Onopono. Hopa. No, it's Ho'opo. Hang on. I've been to Hawaii. (laughs) I think I can say this right, just because I've been there. Uh, Uh The original Ho'opo... (laughs) Ho'opo... 
<laughs> Sarah definitely cut this down. The original Ho'oponopono prayer, uh, which I, I found on this website that actually has it here. I want to read this real quick because she was talking about this as a prayer of forgiveness. Divine creator, father, mother, son as one. If I, my family, relatives, and ancestors have offended you, your family, relatives, and ancestors, in thoughts, words, deeds, and actions from the beginning of our creation to the present, we ask your forgiveness. Let this cleanse, purify, release, cut all the negative memories, blocks, energies, and vibrations, and transmute these unwanted energies to pure light. And it is done. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm hoping, I've, I just grabbed this off the internet pretty quickly. I'm hoping that's the actual text of the prayer. I, th I think I've got a good source here. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. But whether it is or it isn't, the idea of forgiveness, that seems like a very critical thing to me. I know more than a few people who are trapped in a spot where they're having a hard time forgiving others or forgiving mm. things. Mm -hmm. That's a bad place to be. And it's a hard thing to get out from under. And I think that's good advice is to forgive. And not only the, the other thing that Lauren said was to forgive yourself. And yeah. that's an important thing too, forgiving yourself for your mistakes and your missteps. And you would come back to defending your life, live with courage, <laughs> forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these messes, it's all the same thing, by the way, a lot I of know. the aliens say when they give you a message, the aliens oh. come down or whatever, after yeah. they poke and prod you on the ship, they're like, ah, oh, you're destroying the planet. Forgive yourself, <laughs> you know, live with courage. <laughs> I mean, it's all the same stuff. It's coming from everywhere. I don't know. It's the I, golden I rule. I clearly lost I, my mind. No, I, here's the thing. I, you know, we've talked about this before and you and I have debated this. It's like, uh, do you pay more attention to the messenger or the message? And I believe that you should consider the messenger, but pay more attention to the message, which is love others as you would love yourself. Do unto others as you would like them to do under you. I mean, what, what can be wrong about that? <laughs> like what? I don't care who said it. I don't care if that person's awful or they're the best person you know on earth. The message comes through. It's the same. And that's what we're talking about here. And if the message is, uh, you don't have to forget but you should try to forgive as much as you can, because that really takes a burden off you in this life and you'll free up and you'll enjoy life more. If you can learn to do that, forgive others and forgive yourself. Again, you don't have to forget. You shouldn't try to keep making the same mistake and you shouldn't put up with other people trespassing on you, but forgiveness, it's one of the most difficult things there is in life. And if you can attain that and master that in a sense, or just be at peace with it, it really frees things up. All right, folks, on that note, we're going to jump over to our very last interview segment here. What would you say to people who are the skeptics and debunkers and, and just don't want to believe, I guess, in what you do and the value of it? And I mean, from my personal point of view, it's like, you know, when you're at the end of life for anybody and it happens to all of us, so it's not an uncommon experience. And certainly we all deal with it differently as we've been talking about is that it doesn't matter to me what comforts somebody or what your beliefs here are, because to me, it's all ego. Yeah. Whatever you think you know or makes sense to you or what proof you have or don't have proof of that you can set your rationality to, it doesn't matter when you're on your deathbed. But what would you say personally to people who need a little something to prove that life is worth living and that there is something beyond this as you say, 3D world, and that there's something to look forward to. Yeah, I think, like you said, talking about the human ego is the one that judges and everything. So when the human ego 
is gone, the spirit, like people open up to understand, but everyone is quick to judge and have different opinions. But I think it's also about experience and everyone has different experiences when they're passing. But as a doula, you come in and try and make it the best experience they can and not be scared and just be there for them in any way they need. But yeah, I feel like the 3D world, like you said, will be like, oh my God, you're wrong or it should be spiritual or it's, it matters for that person and that person experiencing love and being loved and just being there. And I think for me, it's more through the heart. I do everything through my heart and showing that love. And I think when people realize when the loved ones, so many people lately have been like, oh my God, I see this now, or I've experienced it with my loved one. But I do think it's about having an open heart and just being like, hey, that can be real. That's my experience. But more people are experiencing it now. When I say, oh, what was the dream like? Oh, she came in and said this. And I'm like, she's sending you a message. And then like they had it again. They're like, oh, thank you so much. And then this is another thing. My mom's best friend's husband had Alzheimer's and he was declining And I went and saw him, and she was sitting on the bed, and we were talking. And she goes, oh, my God, I had a dream about him last night. I was bawling, and I was like, what was it? And she said he showed her a card of, it was Valentine's Day many years ago, and it said, I love you so much, talking about how much he loved her, you know, because he couldn't speak in the bed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's showing you that he loves you. And wants you to know it because he can't speak it. He can't say it because he's about to go. And he went three days later. These are my experiences. But then when I talk to more people, they're like, oh, my God, my grandmother did this or the lights flickered. And I'm like, that's them communicating with you. But it's just about being open because some people are like, I don't see a sign, but I'm too scared. Like a lot of people are scared to open that door really be like, oh, wow, this is real. But then some people are like, "Mm, I don't believe it. Once you experience it, you're like, whoa, it's real. That's Rich Adam right there. He he is a willing, he signed up for the journey. He's He's got his ticket. He's just waiting for something to punch it so he can <laughs> he can go on his right. uh, investigative journey. But we're, return safely here because we all uh, love and need him, and uh, and and also he has a family and and financial obligations. So uh, <laughs> three, we don't 3D want financial anybody going off before their time. But Scott, any final thoughts? Well, firstly, thank you for your time today. Uh, very thank much you. coming in on your day off. I guess the thing I would say is like as we look at this show and our and our listeners listen and they you know, listen to all these stories over these years and they try to figure out, you know, what where their belief comes down in a story that we've shared or a legend or whether it's the Jersey Devil or the Mothman or whatever else. Everyone's trying to figure these things out. And I think in talking to Lauren, this is a person who's actually ex- having these experiences and is here in person. And I guess to me, if you believe in some of our stories and, and what you hear, then you can also believe in what Lauren is saying, which is actually way more practical because it pertains to every single one of us because everybody listening to this is going to die. Everybody. But not everybody's going to see the Mothman. Not everybody's going to see the Jersey Devil. 
So just, uh, I think it's good to get information about, you know, from our show about things that might be beyond the scope of uh, what we normally cover, but in a weird way, more pertinent to everybody. I think what you're talking about is that uh, it's like what well, you've had a hundred conversations with Rich and other friends about this and like, well, what's really going on? What's, you know, what is the Mothman? What is life after death? What is happening? Uh, does uh, what we believe down here influence anything? Is it just what we choose to each of us to see individually like that? Uh, it's that formless miasma of mist, but to one person, it looks like a dog man to another. It's just fog or uh, a shadow man. It, it's, I think it's all very personal, but one thing that you can say, and I think what Scott's getting at, or at least what I take from it, is that out of all these experiences, and no matter what you believe or don't believe, is that yes, we all pass on, but we pass on to something. The truth, the objective truth to me, is that there is more to our experience as human beings than what we can see here now, and that there is more waiting for us, and it's not bad. So it's something to give us hope. That's going to wrap up our show on the end of life experience. We'll be back in two weeks with a new show. Join our Patreon to hear us on the much more candid Astonishing Junk Tour, which most of the time we do live on video for our patrons at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends. Astonishing Legends is edited by Sarah Voorhees Wendell at VW Sound and co-produced by Tess Feifel, who is also head of research and the social media manager. Our technical producer is Ed Vicola, or as we call him, the mechanic. Special thanks to our announcer, John Bolin. Slowly and clearly spell my name. Four. Nineteen. My name is spelled S-A-R-A. H. 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 Nine. 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 Seven. Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane at foundermusic.com. All other music and sound design for the show is composed and created by Alan Caressia. Our logo was created by Tommy Beaver Design, and our animated graphics for social media and YouTube are done by Joshua Sloan at DeadStreetProductions.com. Every episode going back to September of 2020 has a transcription available on its corresponding webpage at our website. Earlier transcriptions can be made available upon request to astonishingcontact at gmail.com. Astonishing Legends would not be possible without you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, Facebook, and YouTube. You can also visit us at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends, where patrons have access to additional bonus content, including the Patreon-exclusive show, Astonishing Junk Drawer, which is available every week the main show is not. No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. Thank <laughs> you.